Here we go. My name's Todd. This is Kathy. Welcome back to another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is podcast number 597. Why listen to Zen Parenting Radio? Because you'll feel outstanding. Hey, tell everybody that you're actually okay. You just have morning voice. <clears throat> I do have morning voice. Our schedule has shuffled a little bit, which has uh, forced us to uh, record uh, before we're used to recording these last few weeks. So I'm not going to apologize for it. This is where we are. We're waking up early, but our voices do sound heavy, but we're here with you. Yes. With our heavy voices. Um, and always remember our motto, which is that the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. On today's show, I'm actually excited. Uh, my sweetie came up with this. Um, we're following Esther Perel, who's this relationship expert who we've talked about on the podcast many times. And she posted something on Instagram, and it's the five small interventions for psychological well-being. And we're hopefully going to get through all five today. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's going to be a lot of uh, resources, practical advice of how to improve our days. Todd loves it. I do. I do. But first, uh, we're going to do a Zen parenting moment, which is something Kathy writes twice a week. comes out on Tuesdays and Fridays. The only way... To read these is not by going to our website, it's by simply subscribing to the moment. Yep. How do you subscribe to the moment? Simply by scrolling up on the notes of this podcast and you can subscribe there. Or you can go to zenparentingradio.com and it's right at the top. Yeah, well, it's easier for people to use their phone, sweetie, because sure. that's where most people are listening. So which one are we doing, through sure. or? let's do through. Um, I'm just going to read the opening quote from a guy named Carl Jung. Uh-huh. Yeah, good. Good, Todd. Thank you. Mm-hmm. One does not become enlightened by imagining figures of light, but by making the darkness conscious. One does not become enlightened by imagining figures of light, but by making the darkness conscious. All right. I'm going to give you my two cents, and then you give me your two cents. Go ahead. And you're, I already can feel that you're going to criticize what I'm about to oh, say. Oh, boy. I feel like the first half of this quote is not by, not by imagining figures of light. I think of that as positive psychology, uh-huh. but instead embracing the dark that we don't necessarily want to embrace because it's uncomfortable. So it's, I feel like Carl Jung is saying it's not about just like thinking about potential goodness. It's about embracing our, our darkness. Exactly. What do you think? Because remember that all darkness is paradoxical. A lot of what we call darkness are things things that we experience. Like let's talk about something like anger. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we would call that, ooh, that's my darkness. You know, mm-hmm. that's something I don't want to deal with. But what does your anger come out of? Mm-hmm. You know, I read a quote the other day that anger is actually our body's way of saying how much it loves itself. Mm-hmm. In that when people when someone treats you poorly, there's a part of you that rages up and says, I'm too valuable to be treated that way. And so it's actually, it becomes this place of both love and, or let's say light and dark at the same time, which everything is. This is the thing that people don't want to accept. They want a surfacy version of you're either good or bad, light or dark, happy or sad. And the truth is they live very close to each other with this really thin barrier between them. Um, personally experiencing grief, which we have, um, all of us have, but Todd and I have been going through some things. And when you feel grief, you also feel like love really intensely mm-hmm. when it when you know when it shows up or you hear a song and you cry really easily or you get really connected. So my point mm-hmm. is when people just believe themselves to be enlightened because they're like, I only think positive mm-hmm. or I only see the light side. Mm-hmm. There, there, there's a denial of a part of them that actually allows them to feel that in a more authentic way. And they're not, this is going to come out bad, using the gift of the emotion. Correct. And the gift of the emotion, so for anger, is something is happening that needs to be stopped. Boundaries. Boundaries. Mm-hmm. Something, when you're feeling sadness, something needs to be grieved or mourned. Exactly. When you're feeling nostalgic, it's because you're you miss something and you're also excited for something. Like it's both sides. When you're afraid, something needs to be f- brought out from the darkness to the light. So th- something needs to be known. And when something ne- when you're feeling joy, something needs to be celebrated. And what's weird is like, oh, well, that's the easy one. 
I struggle with celebrating joy. Sure. We, we bypass joy very quickly. Right? Mm-hmm. Because we're afraid that it's going to end. Mm-hmm. So anyways... Or that it'll be taken away. So this is a parenting podcast. When our kids are expressing any of these emotions, it's a good thing. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel good mm-hmm. to us because all we want is our kids to be happy. You know, that's the thing. You'll hear parents say, what do you want for your kids? I want them to be happy. Well, that's not a very human no, experience. It's not really fair. So next time your kid's driving in up a wall and they're angry or they're sad or they're afraid, just just take the pressure off of that moment a little bit and say, this is not such a bad thing. I was actually just saying to Todd the other, or we went to dinner. We went on a date. We did. Thanks for that date. We went and had fajitas. Fajitas. But it wasn't sizzling. We went to Uncle Julio's Hacienda in Lombard. And I always love it because, you know, they it sizzles when it gets to the- Sizzle platter. Sizzle platter. And it didn't sizzle. But, but it, it was it was smoking. Yeah, but it wasn't sizzling. It was steaming. It, it wasn't sizzling. I need the sizzle. because it, the sound. It's the onions. You know, the smell of the onions Yeah, but burning? you didn't smell them, right? Not, I needed the sizzle. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Sweetie. Okay, so I was saying to Don the, the other night during the non-sizzling fajitas that- um, you know, like if one of my children is really upset and has a really good cry and she may be like saying things that, you know, where you realize, oh my God, she's really upset around about this or this really bothered her and all this stuff is coming out. And then afterwards it's like, wow, you know, wow, she's really struggling. She's really struggling. And then I said to Todd, but what if they would have seen me on the floor a week ago mm-hmm. crying? They would have been like, wow, mom's really struggling. And yes, in that moment, we are. That's the definition, right? But the whole purpose of having that like release is so then you don't have to carry that weight. I'm not saying it's all gone. Mm. It's not like every, I was just telling, again, talking to Todd about this. It's not that every release then makes you free of that feeling. Like sometimes it's a little more, um, it's an experience you're having. They're They're waves. waves. Right. And so, but my point is, is that, her having that good release doesn't mean there's something significantly wrong that I have to fix. It means that she's had a good release and now she wakes up the next morning and goes on just like I do. And so I think we're just afraid of going. So I really want to talk about, we're not going to do this right now, but I wanted to talk about Martha Beck's new book called The Way of Integrity. And I told Todd, I'm not done yet. So I want to wait till I'm done. But I do want to share this piece of it for this Zen parenting moment, which is that she uses Dante's Inferno, which is one of my favorite books in literature, which I, as a, as an English minor, I had to actually read three or four times. And she uses it to demonstrate our psychological um, experiences and well-being. And one of the things she says is that when Dante, with the help of Virgil, goes through hell, which is, you know, that's the experience mm-hmm. of the Inferno is going through hell. He has to go all the way through it. He gets to the end of it, which I'm skipping over all the, yeah. the goodness of this book, but he gets to the end of it. And when he comes out, he's not going deeper into hell. He actually ends up in paradise, mm-hmm. which is that when you go through and look at all that darkness, there's a place of enlightenment because you were willing Mm -hmm. and because you inhabited all of those pieces of yourself. Because in, you know, we were just talking about integrity. Integrity is wholeness, right? Yeah. And when you say you want your kids to be happy, that's not wholeness. That's one. That's a piece piece of of life. And so the fear is I don't want to go through the darkness. And you guys, nobody does. And anybody who's like, oh, it's no problem. They're not going through it because when you're in it, it's very hard. But if you understand your resilience, if you ask for help, which is probably the most important thing, help have someone hold your hand. Like even Dante does not go through hell by himself. He uses Virgil. Is this one of those books that I would like or one that's like hard to understand? Which one, The Inferno or Martha Beck's book? The Inferno. Well, I never had to read it, surprisingly. There's a reason that you do it in a class, Mm -hmm. meaning there's so much in it that if you don't, every circle of hell Mm -hmm. has a meaning beyond its meaning. Yeah. Um, But you could read it and use like, they're not called Cliff Notes anymore. What are they called? Um, I have a, I subscribe to some Blink List. That's a part of the book. There's something that the girls use that I can't remember. But anyway, I I would read it with you if you want to do a book club. Um, before we move on to the guts of this show, I do want to just out myself a little bit. So here I am kind of preaching like, let your kids have this expression of emotion and and 
and look inward when you're feeling uncomfortable when your kids are expressing the emotion. And where I want to out myself is I'm totally talking the talk, but there's times when I don't walk the walk. What do I mean by that? Recently, one of our daughters was expressing anger and it wasn't in the way that I would visualize the way anger needs to be expressed. Like sometimes like angry is go scream at the top of your lungs. We have a field right down the street from our house. And sometimes I go out there and I just scream at the train tracks, which feels good. Or, um, or hit a punch, hit a punching bag, you know, like get your anger out. But sometimes anger comes out sideways and, you know, we as parents can be the recipient of the anger and, I'm not saying like, love it when your kids are expressing anger towards you, but I just want to like out myself that it's not that easy to do when that happens. I don't know if I'm making any sense. I do because I know exactly what you're talking about and you like anger to look a certain way Yes. because then you're like, this is acceptable Yes. as long as you do. And first of all, how many people really punch a pillow and how many people really run down to one, a field? One percent of the population. That's my point is it's like, it's a really nice thing to write about in a book or you say, you know, hey, go do this, but that's not what people do. Mm-hmm. Anger usually comes out sideways yes. and it isn't directed at you, meaning... Well, it is actually directed at you, but it's not about you. This is the thing that we need to understand is that we just happen to be there when it's coming out. And so what is anger? It's frustration. It's it's not civil mm-hmm. sometimes. Right. You want it to be civil. Yes. You're like, clean. I want it to be clean. You want it to be clean and you want it to be like, good, mm-hmm. good. Yeah. You let it out. And that's not what human beings do. And much less younger human beings right. who have only experienced this world for... 13 years, 16 years, 18 years, like their emotional literacy, their emotional intelligence is still growing. Like at least they have the excuse of not knowing how to do it. We're the grownups that have been through it enough that should probably know a little bit better. Well, not only that, but we, what we do is we play the game as we call it something different. So we'll have anger come out sideways and we'll be like, no, no, you pissed me off. Mm -hmm. Or we'll say you frustrated me or you disappointed me, or it's your fault that I'm having this experience. And we call it something that it's not and blame somebody else for it. We, we use a different word when really it's like, I was really angry. And so that is why I'm saying it, our brain plays, I don't want to say plays tricks on us because it's not manipulating us. It's just kind of the way it works. Our ego doesn't want to be in charge of that. It wants to be like, no, no, you're perfect. Mm-hmm. You Other people drove you to this. Yeah. And while other people can definitely piss you off, I'm not saying that doesn't happen. Anything that we say or do, um, we said or did it. Sure. You know what I mean? And I'm not... I'm not going with Todd with, no, go punch a pillow, because what I'm saying is take responsibility and accountability, yeah. which is after, if anger is discharged in a way that hurts somebody, you say. How do you repair? I'll give you one, and then we'll move into yeah. the guts of the show. So uh, one of my daughters asked me to get something at the grocery store so she could make her lunch for the next day last week. And I told her to put it on the list, and she put it on the list, but she put it on after I got back from the grocery store, whatever. Bottom line is I didn't handle it well. I handled it in a passive aggressive way and I felt yucky the next morning upon waking up, but she had already left for school. So I just sent her a quick video saying, you know what? I feel yucky about how I handled that last night. How'd you handle it? What'd you do? I video text her. No, no, no. I mean, what did, like you didn't get it and then you blamed her? Like I'm curious. Uh, Oh, so what did I do that night? I said, you know, I said, uh. I'm sorry. You know, it was just a very... Like, it, it's not a big deal. It's not yeah. a big... I minimized yeah. okay. her feelings. Yeah, it's not like I screamed at her. I said, you know, and Skyler was with me, and she's like, I don't think you handled that very well. <laughs> My 13-year-old was guiding me on how to handle situations with her sister. So it was great. Skyler was that mirror for me. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. I don't think I handled that well. So anyways, I sent her a video text. I just told her. And, I, you know, it's I, I probably should have waited until she got home from school. I did talk to her... Once you got home, I, did you get my video, sweetie? Yeah, I just, I, I, I don't feel like I handled that well. I just, I'll try better next time, whatever. And that's, you know, that may seem like a simple thing. I never got that when I was a kid. My, my parents screwed up. I never heard about it again. They they did not want to readdress it. So all I'm saying is the repair, like every time you screw up, there's another opportunity to repair in a healthy way. And it doesn't mean like, say she didn't put it on the list. It doesn't mean you're like, I'm a bad person. Like you don't have to rip yourself apart. Mm -hmm. You take responsibility 
for your peace, mm-hmm. which is regardless of how it happened, when it happened, what time it happened, my peace, I didn't handle well. Mm-hmm. Because in every interaction we're having with our partner, our kids, or someone at work, we are role modeling, even if we don't want to, it doesn't matter what our role is, but how we interact is how then the other person is going to interact. Yeah. Because if we're being passive aggressive, then they will have a reaction back to that. Do you see what I mean? Sure. We're part of a dynamic. And so even if she was passive aggressive too, it's like, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about how you handle yeah, that's, that. Yeah, that's her business. That's her business. I got to stay out of her business, right. which seems like weird. Like, well, it's your kid. Like, no, like it's so much easier to attach ourselves to how they screwed it up instead of me looking inward saying, how did I show up in that exchange? Again, it's the ego saying, no, no, you did everything right. Mm. It's other people who are pissing you off. And before we move on this thing about through um, that I wrote for the Zen Parenting Moment is really I based it all around the quote that there is no way out but through, Mm. okay? Which is a big, I didn't get that from the Inferno, but it just happens to connect Mm -hmm. that people would like to just skip over a lot of things. And the truth is you have to go all the way through it to really like have it be done. Mm -hmm. And um, we, what I was writing about was really how sometimes people use spiritual bypassing, which we've talked about um, because we don't have a lot of tolerance for working through our pain. And so those of us who have a pretty strong practice with spirituality or with mindfulness, um, we sometimes use it to to experience pain avoidance Mm -hmm. and it's a defense mechanism and it shields us from having to feel certain things, but it's actually a disconnection from our lives because feeling all things is actually a super big connection to our lives. Even sadness and pain is not, that connects us to our lives. It's, I I was telling my daughter that the experience of pain is actually if you're using it in a way where you're talking about it and getting help and working through it, you know, like Dante is, mm-hmm. that it actually reroutes you, it replants you, it helps you find another way of being in the world that's more compassionate toward yourself, wiser and more compassionate to others. And so it can uproot you, the pain, but then don't forget that you get to reroute, mm-hmm. you get to put yourself back in the soil in a, in a way that's healthier. You know, so anyway. Well, in the way I um, would compress and summarize what you just said, life's not happening to you, it's happening for you. So like even when, you know, uncomfortable things happen, illness, loss of job, insert your own, you know, troubled moment, you it's an opportunity to go through it and come out clean on the other side. And it's really hard advice to hear when you are in the middle of it, but it is the truth. Well, and when you're in the middle of it, the reason it's uncomfortable and it feels risky is you're like, will this ever end? Mm -hmm. I mean, I can't tell you, I mean, I'm I'm almost 50 years old. How many times in my life have I been like, will this ever end? And I can say, of course it will. But when you're in those moments, you forget all the learning that you happened before that. Yep, because it sucks and it's painful and other people don't understand. And, or they actually do, but we don't think they do. And um, in pain is pain. And then, but the thing that's important though about spiritual understanding and mindfulness is they can help with that pain. Mm -hmm. But if you're using them as a distraction or a denial, that's when it gets unhealthy. (laughs) So it's just that place in between um, of using it to support you through, not to distract you from. Sweetie, I have a very quick experience of how um, people sometimes grieve losses. Okay. Here we go. Okay. Heaven hears a thing. You trade your legs for angels' wings. And once we've all said goodbye, you take a running leap and you learn to fly. This is from Parks and Rec for those who... When he got to the chorus, he kicked a stool out from underneath him. Did you ever notice that? <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. This this is, uh, this oh is the, the heart of the show. Oh, my God. And we watch so much Parks and Rec. So worth it, though. Um, I, these people, uh, Skylar and I have gotten to a point where we're not even watching the people up front. We watch everyone in the foreground. Yeah, right. We watch everyone's reactions. That's how much we've watched. We don't need to, like... 
watch there's, what there's no you're story to, points we've right. missed. Um, so I'm going to pause real quick here. Okay, so if you want to subscribe to Kathy's Zen Parenting Moment, just scroll up on the show notes and you'll get it every Tuesday and Friday. It's a quick 30-second read, yeah. but something that will be worth considering and at least it makes me happier when I see it, sweetie. Hopefully it's supportive. Um, all right, so on to Esther Perel. Do you um, remember that, la- was it last conference, Esther was going to be our speaker? Yes. And then they were going to do an HBO special around it. Yeah, they are going to videotape it and then... Got you a know, little complicated. Fell apart. Yeah. We don't like complicated stuff. <laughs> I was like, I don't know if we're the right place for that. Um, so the title of this, it's five different pictures. I, I screenshotted it on my phone. Five small interventions for psychological well-being. So why did we choose this that we wanted to talk about this? Um, because it just, it. I think they're all very helpful. We're going to go through each of them. I think the thing I've been talking about most to Todd and everybody around me is as we're, we're not all the way through the pandemic, by the way, but as we're coming through it, as we're, you know, as we're inching toward getting there, um, we are now dealing with the pain of our experiences because whenever you're in the height of a crisis, um, we tend to just deal with what's in front of us. It's the way our brain works. Um, so we can handle what we're experiencing when we're starting to move out of a crisis, if it be within our family or if it be, you know, personally, um, or something like a pandemic, when it starts to dissipate just a bit, we then have more room to feel. And that is why, for those of you who are feeling even more overwhelmed or still struggling, even though you can go back into a restaurant or whatever it may be that you're the normalcy that has continued or your kids are back at school, if you're like, but I'm still feeling so heavy, it's to be expected. Um, after people have been saying that after, you know, once we get through 2020 of this experience of the pandemic, we're going to now have to deal with our mental wellness. And I don't mean that in a scary way. I think it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to look at things that we haven't looked at before and deal with our grief and deal with what pain feels like and, and why the only way out is through and why denial of our feelings isn't helpful in the, in the long run. So these are five small interventions for your psychological well-being, things you can do when you are feeling overwhelmed by what's occurring around you. The reason I like this is because we can read all five in about two minutes of time versus read a big fat book on how to be yeah, well. Yeah, very true. So so are you ready for the first one, Sure, my go ahead. Number one. Oh. Try to identify and articulate your feelings to yourself, your journal, or your loved ones. And before I go through the two bullet points, or maybe we won't even go through them, it's to name it, to tame it, right? Yeah. And to name it, to understand it, um, you know, to to name it, to process it, to name it, to ask for help about it, to name it, to recognize where it came from. Like if you have no idea what you're feeling, mm-hmm. how do you even, you know, the whole point of, um, for those of you who have read, you know, the body... Uh, keep score. score. The whole thing is about a lot of times traumatic experiences. If if our body is in denial of them, or it, you know, and again, mind body connection here, and we don't even know what it is to feel a certain way or how to name it, we're just in a state of like discomfort. Mm-hmm. Or we are in a state of agitation, or we're in a state of disconnection. And so it, the ability to dissipate those feelings is to say, this is what I'm feeling and why. But here's why people don't always do that, Todd. Because sometimes you're exhausted, kind of like last week when you pay, played those um, audio of those women screaming. Yeah. And one of the women was like, I don't think I'm supposed to be a mom. Mm-hmm. So that kind of expression doesn't really have a solution. She can't wake up and go, okay, well then I won't be a mom. Right. But what I'm saying is that her ability to say that can dissipate some of that frustration, anger, and fear. Because it's living inside of her. And if she says it out loud, it takes maybe the edge off or it starts to release or it starts to unravel it's a little the truth. bit. Yeah. Or she thinks it's the truth. Well, it, the truth is right now she felt that she, and what we're talking about is I played a part of the daily podcast where these women who are struggling of parenting through the pandemic and they're at their wits end. Right. And yeah, so she was in this place where she 
felt like she couldn't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. So she just said it out loud to this voicemail box that New York Poster, the the whatever newspaper that was. But don't forget, I'm going to use Dante again. When you get to the end, he got to what he thought was, quote unquote, the end of hell. Mm-hmm. And then he kept going and he ended in paradise. So sometimes when we're like, I hit a wall, I can't go anymore. That's when we began to journey to a new place. Well, and that's what you said in your um, Zen parenting moment is the only way... Is it all, out is out through. Is through. Mm-hmm. So what I want to just quickly focus on before we go to the second one is there's IQ, there's EQ, and there's BQ. IQ we all know about. That's like your brain intellect. EQ is your emotional intelligence, which is something Kathy and I have spent 10 years talking about on this podcast. And BQ is your body awareness, your body quotient. How good are you at identifying feelings in your body, allowing them to be expressed through you, and then to gain the wisdom of whatever that emotion was here to teach you? I make up a story that most of the time, I don't do that. I'm lucky if I name it, much less express it and learn from it. But at least I know that's what these emotions are here to teach me. Absolutely. And if you, you know, Well, I'll just read something that Esther wrote. She said, you know, like you said, it's important to name what you're feeling, helplessness, despair, anger, inadequacy. And I'll say something about like that word helplessness. Sometimes we don't want to name that because there isn't, we'll be like, well, if I name that, then that demonstrates I'm flailing or that means I've failed. And the first step in getting help is demonstrating helplessness. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like I, one of my favorite things to do in meditation when I'm really lost, and when I say favorite, it's usually because I'm in pain but is to fully surrender yeah. and say, I fully need help. And, and I'm speaking in my mind, in my body, in my soul, meaning I need something to show up. If it be a song, a person, a quote, a book, a experience, because I'm helpless right now. And that is a very, for your body, that's quite a relaxing mm-hmm. experience. It doesn't all go away, mm-hmm. but what's painful is what she describes as, she says, when we don't break it down, these feelings, it creates empathetic distress. And it's when you're not aware and accepting of your own feelings. So you can't connect with feelings of other people around you. You can't connect with yourself or others. You're like in a flailing pattern everywhere. You become unavailable to the people around you. you. To the people you love. So this is not new news, this intervention of articulating your feelings. But I I said, um, I mean, you guys, the amount of journals I have in this house, like I really should burn them because they're everywhere and they're all filled up and they don't make any sense. Um, you know, I, I was joking and I said to Todd, don't read my journals if, if I got hit by a bus because I think you'll be lost. And I didn't mean don't read them like there's any kind of like thing in there that would bother him, but they don't make sense because what I'm doing in a journal is I'm like just putting words and feelings and, you know, quotes that come to me. And they're, they're very, they are an expression of my attempts to articulate my feelings. Sweetie, I can't read your handwriting anyways. I know. I'm learning that. All of you can't read cursive. Cursive is a forgotten art. Especially your cursive. (laughs) All right. Number two, are you ready? Yes. Short-term strategies start in your body. Breathing and stretching helps you relax and restore. Amen. It's funny. We just went upstairs to say goodbye to our kids who are heading off to school. And I was going to say this to the one who is experiencing nervousness right now. And I was just going to remind her to breathe and remember all the things that you learn in yoga class. But Mm -hmm. I thought that that wasn't going to be helpful because I say that a lot. You know, for those of you who do yoga, who use it as like a exercise calorie burner, um, which I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying yoga, um, and it it could be those things, but the gift of yoga is the body-mind piece of you're literally stretching and opening all these emotional centers in your body. So part of the reason I like to do yoga by myself Todd's been doing yoga with Dennis lately. Dennis Morton on Peloton. It's Peloton, baby. Peloton, whatever. Peloton. Yeah, my guy Dennis. Love me. Give me some Dennis. So I I used to go to classes way back when, pre-pandemic, but I haven't obviously been to a class since, and I do yoga by myself, and I love choosing Mm -hmm. what I'm going to do. I probably don't get... I probably end up doing the, the poses I like the most, so I know it'd be worth my time to go to a class again, but... 
You literally like str- like if your back is congested, there's feelings and emotions in there, and you're little literally stretching it out. When you are stretching out the back of your legs, there's literally like tension in there, and you're stretching it out. Like to me, even if you can only do it for ten minutes, you are giving your mind and body such an experience of at least attempting to give yourself more space internally to manage what you're experiencing and what you will experience during the day. I crack, 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 crack. And I, you know, I'm sure there's somebody who works with the body who's like, oh, that's this or that's this. You know, there's there's many reasons, but to me, it's just release. Mm-hmm. Release, 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 release. Um, well, and you used to tell me all the time on your drive home from yoga, what would you do? Cry. You'd cry. Yeah. And sometimes you'd be like, I don't even know what I'm crying about. Oh, yeah. There'd be like a song would come on. It would be like Raspberry Beret by Prince. I'd start to cry. I'm like, this isn't really a sad song. Um, So it was just a little bit of a trigger. And then everything could come out. So I, you know, there was no really big, deep connection there. Yeah. I don't think I'll cry about it today. I think of this as a sad song. It's not. That's my, it's the whole point. It's just this would come on. I'd be like, oh, Prince. And then tears would come out. I'm not like, I'm not the biggest Prince guy, but this has got to be one of his best songs. Oh my God, it's such a cool song. Just cool. Listen to all the background. Listen to all the Prince sounds in the background. Do you hear that sound? It's like a door closing. See, that's why I should think I should start doing drugs so I could hear all that little stuff in the song that I can't hear. What, without being a musician myself, because I'm not, except in my mind when I'm in the shower, is that artists have sounds mm-hmm. that they incorporate into their songs. Yeah. So it has that familiar, I mean, just think about The Edge, you yeah. know, with his guitar playing sure. or, you know, it's like there's always this sound where you go, that's who that is. Mm-hmm. And if you listen to Prince's songs, that sound mm-hmm. is always in the background. Yeah. Um, I was going to mention about Esther's post. Um, she says, focus one on one breath at a time. Mm-hmm. I've given that advice to myself and most others who are struggling with anything. Mm-hmm. It's just step one is focus on your breath. Get outside the best you can. And my way of doing that is inviting my daughters or my wife to go play catch outside or take a forest bath hasn't really happened as of late. Right. And again, I would say that the reason why is because it's kind of like your way of managing anger where you're like, go punch a pillow or go yell in a field. You have two ways that you want to go outside. And if it was just let's go outside or let's take a walk, or let's walk over and see that tree, you might have more takers. But when you're like, let's go do these two things, nobody wants to do those things. Hey, sometimes I'm like, let's just go outside and do whatever you want to do. And sometimes let's take a walk. Um, By the way, when I say forest bath, it is a, I think a Japanese term, shinrin yoku. It means forest bathing. Mm -hmm. And it's just, go walk in the forest. That's all that that means. I'm a big fan. Um... She, Esther says, reassure yourself that you're okay right now. It's, I don't really know if I like that bullet point. Like, cause... Well, what she means by that is that when the whole point of mindfulness mm-hmm. is taking a breath and saying, are you okay right now? Mm-hmm. And you are. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean everything is okay. Right. It means right, right now. now. Like a couple of days ago, I was really struggling. My brain was just really going about something. I felt like I was going to cry and I was making the bed mm-hmm. while I was thinking. And all of a sudden I was, I was listening to a podcast. I was actually listening to Martha Beck and she said, and are you okay right now? And I'm like, I'm making the bet. Yeah. I'm fine. So that's what she means by that. Yeah. Whenever we're, usually when we're afraid, it's when we are projecting the future right. or recalling the past. And it's when your body is regurgitating feelings that are uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And so you feel like you are in danger that moment, mm-hmm. but you're really not. Yeah. And the reminder to your brain that you are okay right now, it doesn't take away everything. It just gives you a little space. And- the last one is super important. Thriving yeah. doesn't always mean that you're being productive. And that's... I feel like she's writing that to me. To you, right. Productivity, like sometimes thriving means I'm actually sitting down and having this feeling. Sometimes thriving is I cleared my schedule so I could relieve the pressure of being on a clock. Thriving can mean 10 minutes of meditation versus 10 minutes of email. Correct. Which is some t- And then sometimes they even meditate for productivity, which is whack. 
Oh, I think a lot of people do that, Todd. I think a lot. I I have this big section in my book about how spiritual practices become superstitions. Mm. And for some people, they literally become superstitions. Like, if I don't do this, something bad will happen, which I hate to break it to you guys, but things, bad things are going to happen no matter what you do. What so let's just pause there. That'll be the title of the podcast. <laughs> bad things are going to happen no matter what you do. And you know what? What I mean by that is challenging things. Sure. What meditation is, is a practice of learning how to handle it, not how to avoid it. We don't get to jump over life. We get to learn how to handle and practice being in life and that there's no way out but through. So, you know, people will be like, I, I have to do this yoga practice or something bad will happen. It's a lot of like, um, I'm doing this to avoid pain versus I'm doing this to learn how to manage pain. Two different things. You ready for number three? Yes. It's a really long one. That's what you said. <laughs> Create boundaries. Routines and rituals. Um, <laughs> we did a whole month on boundaries. I think February, we did, we did. something like mm -hmm. that. Um, I think boundaries is one of the most understated concepts that we need to have as human beings. And maybe I should use an I statement. I think I it's something that's really important to me. I don't think I'm necessarily that good at it. I was going to say, what are your boundaries? I'm, I'm, and I know you have them. Well, and I'm about to talk about somebody else's boundaries. So I'm kind of like, get back in your body. I'm trying to, so, so I think, you know, think of our kids and we have an 18 year old and a 16 year old and 13 year old. And Kathy almost always insists that somebody's up when, because we go to bed before our kids get home sometimes. Sometimes, now, yeah. Because we have one going into college and sometimes she'll get home at midnight or 1230 or whatever. And, I remember back when I was 17 or 18, I wanted my parents to be asleep mm -hmm. when I got home. That way they wouldn't ask me any questions about where I was or what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that there's probably a part of every kid that feels that way. While at the same time, there is a place underneath that want that wants to want somebody to be home and awake when they get home. And because... I don't know. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Oh, 100%. We just, uh, JC and I just went to brunch um, this weekend and we talked about this because it's all about the tone and how it feels because I, my thing with her is when you come home, either text me or wake one of us up. I don't care which one you do. Yeah. Um, I just need to know you're home. And that's for me so I can sleep well so I don't wake up at three in the morning and make sure she's home. I want to know. But for her, she was, she was saying that it, and I don't think I'm sure it's a pain in the butt sometimes, but it's not like come in here so I can see you. Right, I don't let me smell your to. breath no, or whatever not, it is. It's not that. It's it's like a I need to know you're home so I know you're safe. And she was saying that she had a friend who sometimes when I would text and say, you know, text me when you get home or where are you now or you know, and I I usually text her once a night and just say just keep me posted about where you are. And she had a friend who was like, wow, I've been gone 15 hours and no one's asked where I am. Mm. Now that's an extreme. I'm not saying that, you know, there's lots of gray in there, but my point is, is that kids want to know they have some boundary sure. that someone is at least thinking and well, wondering where they are. Well, my story goes back to my mom who passed away seven years ago, I think six or seven years ago when she was a little girl, she was unhappy with her home life. She was like eight or nine years old and she decided to run away from home, right. which meant she, there's this place underneath the house. I think my sister might have to help me with the story. And she hid there like all day. And nobody even knew. And nobody even knew. Yeah. So yeah, our kids. <laughs> I mean, that's just, it's, that's such a heartbreaking, heartbreaking story. Heartbreaking, right? Because you're like, oh, it doesn't matter. Yes. Think about the message that's sent right. in that. I'm running away. Uh, I, I want, basically what my mom was asking for was attention. And miss me. Miss and me. And I'm going to hurt them through my absence and they'll hurt. Mm -hmm. And not only did they not hurt, they didn't even recognize her absence. Yeah. There's a big message in there that I'm sure was really difficult. The fact that she's even told that story, yeah. there was a big message mm -hmm. in there. Um, the other part is sticking to a schedule um, to... to block off time for your own personal activities and for the things you know you need to get done because um, that's a part of boundaries and routines and rituals. So that I've always been like, I tend to be a little more of a free spirit with time. Like I want to just flow from thing to thing. Flow doesn't work as a parent. <laughs> flow, there is some structure that you have to have and we've had to have a pretty intense structure lately. Um, but 
there needs to be some sense, and, and I'm calling myself out here. I'm not teaching this. I'm saying this to myself. Like, I love freedom and I like the idea of I don't know what today's going to feel like and I might write for five hours or I might walk for three hours, but that doesn't always, that works if I'm by myself somewhere. Mm-hmm. But when you're with a family and when, when you're with other people, you have to block time for yeah. things. You have to figure out how this is going to work. Not to, and again, there's the gray, not not in the binary of you're either completely scheduled or you're not scheduled at all, but this place in the middle with, I still have to have a little freedom. Yeah. But it is important that our kids understand what time dinner is, that, our, that we understand what time we need to get up, that we understand that we're going on a vacation this certain day, so be ready. Like, mm-hmm. you have to have some kind of structure. Um, it's why a lot of people fell apart during the pandemic of the school structure wasn't there for us right. anymore. Because even school itself is a ritual. Exactly. And if you remove, because she talks about rituals, she says, create rituals to help convey importance and meaning. Yeah. And I was, you know, I grew up Catholic, so ritual always meant something during mass or in the church. So I always had an aversion to that word. And then once I let go of my Christianity, uh, I became much, I embraced the word ritual much mm-hmm. more. We do a lot in some of the men's groups that we do. Um, and like even just having dinner every night um, as a family, that's something that has been important to me probably because I did it when I was a little Mm -hmm. kid. Yeah, it's been helpful to me. Um, So anyways. Well, you know, she says just really basic, making dinner every night is a routine that says we need to eat. Yeah. Um, Lighting candles and setting the table says we matter. Like it's just doing things. And sometimes we're unaware we're even doing it. I have all sorts of rituals in my meditation practice and they are not, they change up. They're not uh, superstitions. They're not things like I have to say this or do this. They make me feel good. Hmm. They're like things that I'm like, ooh, like I don't want to miss those rituals. Like they are super important to me. And those are soothing to my body. Um, So, you know, it'd be like blowing out candles or I have rosary beads that I hold or, you know, having, doing certain breathing exercises. They're, they're the way I start my day. Uh, The ritual of journaling. So anyway, so creating boundaries, routines, and rituals are interventions for your psychological well-being. I want to go back to the boundaries really quick. We did a Zen talk last week and... um, I'm, as I'm reading what the what we talked about, so we didn't have a lot of people. Uh, we have over a hundred people on our, in our Zen community or Team Zen community. Last week we just it was kind of an off week, and there's only we like the six too. or seven of us. So we really kind of had a really organic discussion. And one of the teammates, uh, one of the moms, uh, their kid entered the karate class, and the kid wanted to quit. So we had a discussion on you know when it's a good time to let your kid quit and when it's a when it's not such a good idea to let him quit. And then our other teammate um, was having a hard time differentiating between helping her kids with something or practicing self-care. So there's two obvious examples of boundary setting in mm-hmm. each of those things. Mm-hmm. So this is, you know, a small plug for our, our team Zen. If you're interested in doing it, it's 25 bucks a month. And basically it's a handful of us that have a discussion about something that's going on in, in somebody's life to, and all we do is support you. So if you're interested in uh, doing that, uh, just go to our show notes and check it out. It's 25 bucks a month and it is um, free for the first month. So It's all about processing through our very human experiences and remembering that you're not alone in your processing. So, so Todd, I want to move to the next one because What it's, about my drum roll? Okay, go ahead. just a few seconds too long. No, it's fine. Okay. Cultivate an attitude of tragic optimism. This is my favorite one. Okay. Okay. So this is in itself an intervention for psychological well-being. And I love the language because um, I do this. um, I do this well. This one out of all of them um, is, it comes from Viktor Frankl. Mm -hmm. Um, So we think about him as being a writer and a Holocaust survivor, but um, he's the founder of Logotherapy described, he described tragic optimism as the human capacity to creatively turn life's negative aspects into something positive or constructive. And the reason I got so excited reading tragic optimism that, you know, that there's a name for that is because sometimes, you know, I have been scolded by others or even my own brain for trying to find the light in things sometimes too early um, or that sometimes you just need to be more of a realist like this just sucks and I like I, I don't know how to live 
any other way, but to see challenges as the whole point. Like it, it's not a, and not, I don't mean welcoming them or creating them or, or leading them to happen, but things are going to happen. So can you turn negative experiences into something constructive, which is the fact that you ask for help and create new relationships, the fact that you um, learn something new and then can share with others. Like that's really the most important thing to me is I, because of the career that I have, every pain that I go through is once I feel that I am in a place of stability, once again, I try not to talk about it too much when I'm in the, the heat of it, but is how do we see this whole experience differently? And all of a sudden it becomes exactly what we needed. And that sounds bad. We didn't need it. We didn't need it. We, all of a sudden we get what we needed from it Mm -hmm. because I don't like the idea that, um, like deserving. Yeah. I don't like the, I had a quote in one of my Zen parenting moments a week or two ago and it was like, it was the Monica Lewinsky one. Mm -hmm. And I think it was from David Kessler who, um, wrote about grief and that the, you know, we've got all these layers of grief or I should say, um, not layers, like, you know, anger, grief. What, what are, what's the word I'm looking for? Not layers of grief, stages of grief. Mm. And one of the stages is meaning. Mm. Once you get through all the stages of grief, you have to find meaning in it. But he's like, but things didn't happen to you as like a gift or a lesson or people aren't throwing things down on you. This is not like a, yeah. this is what do you what take do you do with from it? it? Yeah. yeah. So tragic so, optimism. So for me, this is the paradox okay. because, you know, in this Instagram post by Esther, she quotes Viktor Frankl as tra- yeah. tragic optimism, the human capacity to creatively turn life's negative aspects into something positive or constructive. I'm sure most of you know who Viktor Frankl is, but he is a Holocaust survivor and he wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. And sometimes when I'm struggling with something, I think of Viktor Frankl saying, dude, this is nothing. This is nothing compared to what this man did. This man molded his experience of seeing the worst of the worst into something positive. So the paradox, though, is we just spent 20 minutes talking about allowing these uncomfortable things to come through us, Mm -hmm. the emotions, the feelings. Like this quote from Viktor Frankl is not in, in contradiction, but really different than Carl Jung's quote that we use. They're not different. You're just reading them different. Well, okay. I'm reading them different because Jung says, one does not become enlightened by imagining figures of light, but by making the darkness conscious. So like, I feel like those are like, well, which one is it? Do I want to like be tragically optimistic or do we, do I want to just make the darkness conscious? Both. I know. So you like, you guys can't see me, but I'm going to try and illustrate this for you is you think about it. I'm, I'm making it simple, but like a line and the beginning of the line is something happened and your body is shocked mm-hmm. and you're in crisis, mm-hmm. which you and I know a lot about. And there, at the end of that line is the tragic optimism or the finding meaning. And what you want to do is say, yeah, we're in crisis, but we're not experiencing what Viktor Frankl did. Mm-hmm. So let's jump over this whole line mm-hmm. and go to the tragic optimism. The only way out it through means, the only way out is through means you follow that line and feel because your experience, obviously, is different than Viktor Frankl. Mm-hmm. When you're in crisis, there's all sorts of places in you that get activated because of your life experience and your history. And those places need to be felt, seen, held, experienced. And you, so the crisis didn't show up for that, but that's what comes out and through. And that's what builds strength and resilience is I can look, I can make all my darkness conscious and see it and hold it and not be afraid of it and have compassion for all these pieces of myself. But until you go through it, you can't. So you want to say you're making them opposite of each other when really one is the beginning so, and one is the end. So what I, yeah. So what I hear you saying is, you know, I'm, we're totally oversimplifying this, or at least I am. Pay attention to Carl Jung. Correct. At the beginning. Correct. And, and the beginning could be, this could be um, lifelong. It could be lifelong or it could be within a half a second. Correct. You know, who knows? Or they say emotions 
if if allowed to be expressed fully last 90 seconds or something like that. Right. Which is a little different. Like having an emotion during the day is very different than having a negative experience that you really need to go through. Like an emotion is like that person cut me off and I'm having a feeling and in 90 seconds right. it's gone. What we're talking about is we get bad news or we have, you know, gotten in the car accident or I lose my job or you, something has literally happened Mm -hmm. that we have to deal with. So it's not 90 seconds and it'll be gone, but we have to go through this. Mm -hmm. And so the only way out is through. So what are all the fears? Mm -hmm. What does this mean? What do I think this says about me? Where's my ego taking me? What historically has happened that this reminds me of and looking at all of that. So in other words, um, and you pointed this out. So I have had a tendency, I don't do it as much as I used to, but go to Viktor Frankl at the very beginning. Go to his quote at the, when that something happens. The other way around. Go. You start with Carl Jung's, the only way out. I'm saying I used to. Oh, I see. In um, an unhealthy way, yes. I would be tragically optimistic and skip all the other stuff. You, you would say, you know, we'll get something from this or this is going to be fine. It always works out fine, but you're not going through Dante's Inferno. Right. You're, going, you're jumping over it, which is going to leave you in a little bit of empathetic distress because all these parts of yourself that get like I, I visualize, we have this crisis and all these parts of yourself wake up and they say, oh, here I can be seen. Mm-hmm. Now I can be felt. Now all these fears that came out of childhood can be resolved or recognized, maybe not resolved. And they like kind of wake up. But then you're like, no, no, go back to sleep. I'm just going to jump to it's all going to be fine. So when we jump over it, Mm -hmm. this is going back to the book that you brought up called The Body Keeps the Score. Right. When you jump over it, you can jump over it, but there is what I would call toxic residue that resides inside that eventually needs to come out if you want to be tragically optimistic. Well, it's going to come out no matter what, but how is it going to come out? Is it going to come out through your behavior and lack of sleep and migraine headaches and pain? Or are you going to be able to bring some light to it and do some journaling and talking yeah. and resolving? And it's it's going to come out. That's yeah. the thing is we're like, well, I'm just going to jump over it. It will be dealt with. The, yeah. That's why it's called the body keeps the score. Like it's it's it knows. Yeah. Um, so that's the thing is they're both, so they're not, so I guess there still is like you, you use the word paradox. It is still a bit paradoxical. You know, the only way out is through, but hey, look at this in a good light. But I... It's not either or, it's both and. It's both and. And I have had, sometimes I'm in the middle of a crisis. And, you know, aren't we always kind of, (laughs) like life is not like an end Sometimes if you're not in a crisis, you think that that's a crisis (laughs) because something isn't happening. Right. You know, you can always find one. Mm -hmm. Um, But I will find, I will look for the silver lining or the learning in the midst of it. And and I think that's okay because you can do that in little chunks. Like you can do it in... I got through today and I actually did A, B, and C and it worked out pretty well. And so I've learned how to do that. And in that way, I have found something constructive, but it doesn't mean it's all over yet. Yeah. That usually like, like for example, you know, Todd and I can look back on something from five years ago and talk about it with a ton of hindsight and say, look at everything we learned, but it's hard to do that in the middle. Right. Are you ready for number five? Yes. Here we go. Remember, freedom and confinement comes from the imagination. What is that all about? Well, I love this one because, first of all, just to have a little history about Esther Perel, her, both of her parents were Holocaust survivors. Mm. And she lived in a town growing up that the majority of people were Holocaust survivors. So can you imagine the energy, right? Mm. The experience that, and it doesn't mean it was all bad. There was a lot of learning and a lot of tragic optimism, but the understanding that freedom in your confinement is all about what's in the mind. So this is, Ellie Wiesel talked about this, obviously Viktor Frankl talked about this. You, your freedom, you know, Andy Dufresne from the Shawshank Redemption mm-hmm. talked about this. They put him in, you know, I'll use something that's fictional so we can, you know, relate in this way. He talked about being put in the hole and he thought about the piece of music that he loved. His freedom came from his mind. You know, they can't take his hope. Yeah, And so- just like a child, as she says, can turn a box into a castle, we can turn a kitchen into a bistro, a bathroom into a spa. We can you know, find things that activate 
those parts of ourselves, even if we can't go to Hawaii. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, like we, (laughs) you know, I'm just thinking about, I sit on my front porch to write and that makes me happy. I read a book alongside somebody and that makes me happy. Um, so no, I'm not on a train in Europe, you know, having that experience, but there are things you can do. Yeah. And for me, it's what lens are you looking at your world through? Right. And it, it reminds me of, um, when we listen to the Eckhart Tolle series with Oprah, it's really easy for me to be mindful and present when I'm walking through the Yosemite Valley, as I did last summer with my daughter, because it's just breathtaking and it's, you know, it's just unbelievably beautiful. It does the work for you. But Eckhart's like, you know, all you have to do is go out. If if you're if you live in a climate where there's grass and bugs, look at twelve inch square of earth. Mm-hmm. There's a lot going on. Like it's fascinating. You have ants like carrying sticks, and you have birds picking up worms. We just saw that bird had that plastic bag uh, totally. building its um, nest. Like there's unbelievable things out there right outside your door, regardless of where you live. Yep. And it's always available to you. And it also reminds me of Rob Bell's story about some guy who took the tickets at Trader Joe's to go park there. Yeah. And, you know, probably the most boring job ever. And Rob always went to this one because the guy was so happy with his job. Yeah. And it seemed to me, from my vantage point, um, a really kind of boring, mundane job. And this man treated it with this grace, mm-hmm. like he got to give people tickets so that they could park and go get their food. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I just shared this quote with the girls, what's wrong is always available and so is what's right. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the lens that you're looking at the world through. Exactly. And, you know, you can be in your car listening to music or you can be at a concert. And obviously one does a little more of the work for you, mm-hmm. the energy and the people, but you can also appreciate that piece of music in the car. And I think what we, the only time this becomes a problem is when we l- listen to the music in our car and we're enjoying it and all of a sudden we're like, oh, I miss concerts. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'd rather hear this in concert. Then you're like, you're negating what your brain is trying to help you with, which is live let's music. just enjoy it. Yeah, like pull up YouTube and you could get a, you can get anybody's live concert that it happens to be playing. Speaking of, hmm. I think Skylar and I found on YouTube that Taylor Swift version of American Girl. Mm. Remember when we were listening to that in the yes. car? And I was like, oh, it's not on iTunes, but mm. I think it's on. See if you can find it on YouTube while I kind of wrap this up. Why don't you just say the five things again? So again, this comes from Esther Perel's uh, Instagram page. She calls it the five small interventions for psychological well-being. The first one is identify and articulate your feelings to yourself, your journal, or your loved ones. The second one is um, short-term strategies uh, that start in your body, like breathing and stretching to help you relax and restore. The third one is creating boundaries, routines, and rituals to help provide structure and stability. The fourth one is create an attitude of tragic optimism, not as a spiritual bypass, but as a willingness to, as you're going through, to see how these experiences are constructive in the long run. And then the last one is remembering that freedom in confinement, it comes from your imagination. So can you find the joy in cooking in your own kitchen? Can you find the joy in being in your own bedroom but getting good sleep? Can you find the joy in the tree outside your house? Boom. Um, so I'm going to close with this American Girl um, by Taylor Swift. But first I want to do a shout out for Men Living. We have a busy week this week. If there's any men in anybody's lives that's listening, go to menliving.org. All we're trying to do is create provide a space for guys to connect with each other authentically. So we are, we have two meetings on Wednesday. We have meditation Monday and Friday. We have a a recovery circle on Saturday at 10 a.m. Central. We have a veteran circle Sunday at noon Central. And we just, uh, we just uh, organized uh, Dr. Darius, who is a um, doctor, a pediatric sleep specialist. And he's going to be joining us on Thursday, May 13th. And that's open to all genders. And it's all about sleep empowerment. And he's not going to talk about it in terms of, um, you know, your kids. He's going to be talking about it in terms of you. So I just talked with Dr. Darius. So put that in your calendar as well. Lots going on at menliving.org. So, and then I also want to give a shout out to um, our partner of the week, which is Jeremy Kraft. He's a bald headed beauty painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area, 
1800 and uh, his website is avidco.net. And I also want to uh, say goodbye. And here's Taylor Swift doing American Girl acoustically or on the piano. Try and see. Had one little promise she was gonna keep. Oh, yeah. All right. Take it easy, baby. Make it last all night. She was an American girl. Thanks for listening, everyone. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And feel free to leave a five-star review. It helps people find us. Hey, looking for more support, exclusive content, and an awesome community of parents? Join Team Zen, where you'll get zero pressure and 100% support. First month's free if you enter the coupon code FRIEND. Go to zenparentingradio.com. Time is at a premium these days, which is why we're delivering help and hope right to your inbox. Sign up to receive Zen Parenting Moment, a quick read two times a week that helps ground you and remind you of what you already know. Go to zenparentingradio.com to subscribe. A special shout out to the guys or for women who want to share a pretty great opportunity with the men in their lives. Men Living is committed to improving men's lives through connection. Included in our program is a low pressure, 75 minute weekly virtual gathering for men to give and get support and build friendships. If you want to learn more, you can head to menliving.org. Join us for our other podcast, Pop Culturing, where we take a Gen X view on movies and TV and have fun breaking down key moments and the themes that teach us what it means to be human. And don't forget about our founding partner, Jeremy Craft at avidco.net. He is a bald-headed beauty, painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area. His number is 630-956-1800. Thanks for listening, everybody, and keep on trucking.